You're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, and it's the episode we've all been waiting for. We're going to review Wonder Woman 1984 and bring you the latest movie and trailer news. Lee, let's do this. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies, especially in this episode, the film we've all been waiting for, Wonder Woman 1984. Now, this is Wonder Woman's next outing, and this time it's set in the 80s, where she faces two new foes, Max Lord and the Cheetah. This is once again directed and co-written by Patty Jenkins, starring Gal Gadot, Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal and Chris Pine, surprisingly. We'll get into that a bit more. Yes, can't wait to unpack that one. Okay, Lee. 2020 has been the year where we've been yearning, longing for and so, so desiring watching films in cinemas. Mm -hmm. And I just have to say this. Wonder Woman 1984 is the film to see in cinemas. I'm sorry, Tenant, lay down, go to bed, pull up the covers, (laughs) have a nap. Wonder Woman will tuck you in. (laughs) Gal Gadot will tuck you in and take you for a journey. Do you agree? I've been so looking forward to this film, Tim. You know I talk about it all the time and I'm just so excited. I was grabbing you in the cinema, just like shaking you, going, ah, we're here. (laughs) And tell our listeners, what were you wearing on your feet? My very special bespoke Wonder Woman trainers. I'll make sure I put it up on the socials because I made it myself and I'm very proud. So, so impressive. Definitely post that on the socials Mm -hmm. for everyone to enjoy. And I guess, yeah, if you love a bit of arts and crafts, then just show your Wonder Woman gear as well. If you've got any, we'd love to see it. I was also wearing a t-shirt and earrings. You had the whole get up. I I was very underdressed for this screening. (laughs) I'm a little bit of a Wonder Woman nerd, that's for sure. (laughs) Well, why don't you kick us off, Lee, and kind of give us a a little sense of what the story was all about. So this story, as you mentioned, is set in the 80s where Diana has been living in Washington, D.C., a little bit under the radar. She's a little bit lonely. She's a bit more world-weary than the Diana we met in the first film. But she's still, you know, living that superhero life and saving people. There's a lot of parallel storylines going in this film. So you mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier Max Lord and Cheetah, played by Pedro Pascal and Kristen Wiig. So they've kind of got their own storylines going on this time. It's not all about Diana. How did you feel about that? I thought it was a great mix of different subplots and stories. It obviously, as this naturally happens, they all interweave Mm. and become one kind of big, massive story that encapsulates the whole tone and purpose and driving of of the narrative itself. I think they all, not only from a performance perspective, but from a narrative perspective, all brought something different and Mm. unique to the film. With so many parallel storylines going on, the runtime was really long. We've got a 151-minute movie here. I think it could have trimmed at least 30 minutes off it. What do you think? 30 minutes? That's quite... A lot. Well, they spend a lot of time in a slower gear, giving us a lot more time with the characters. Did you feel there was less action in this film? Yeah, so I'm kind of with you there. We we opened the film really big, right? Which we mm. might unpack that opening scene a little more than the scene in the mall. But yeah, there was quite a long period of time where they were establishing character, narrative, motive, 
and exposition as well, which mm. this film really packed a lot of exposition in, didn't it? So you thought 30 minutes could have been cut here. I reckon maybe. 151 minutes is really long and there was a ton of foreshadowing in there. How did you feel about that? There was a lot of, you know, oh, there's a watch ticking and oh, somebody's turning bad. And I mean, <laughs> look, these movies are kind of known for that sort of thing. It's not the most subtle of films when you watch a superhero film, but... Yeah, they basically put the moral compass in front of you on a silver platter, which you do have to just kind of like grab politely and and, and take it on your journey mm. through the, well, 150 minutes. But I thought the story was managed well and nothing to me felt rushed. Maybe I quite enjoyed personally them taking a moment to mm. just find their feet, get to know the characters and everything. And perhaps these sorts of films like superhero movies, they don't tend... Uh, to focus and lean into those moments. And Patty Jenkins potentially chose to stick with it uh, more than we were expecting. And it kind of put the uh, action to the side a bit for a while. Yeah, well, you're adding two new characters in there and you need to flesh out their storylines, obviously. And that was one of the criticisms, I think, of the first film, if there were any, Mm. that um, the villain of Ares was a one-dimensional villain. Yeah, and I think that Pedro Pascal was anything but a one-note bad guy, right? I completely agree with you there. Very sympathetic, very layered. I enjoyed that very much. Well, I've been used to watching him perform or act behind a mask in the Disney Plus series of The Mandalorian, so I was particularly excited to see him his face and bring something quite high octane into the uh, into the DCEU. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And what about the setting in the 80s? How did you feel about setting it in the 80s? Because really, in terms of the story, and it could have been set at any time, but the struggle mm-hmm. of Wonder Woman is always coming up against the worst aspects of humanity. So in the first movie, it's war and destruction. In this one, it's greed and excess, which I thought makes the 80s the perfect setting for that. Well, yeah, you only have to think of Wolf of Wall Street or Wall Street, the Michael Douglas film. And yeah, greed is kind of that big hero thought when it comes to the 80s, I agree. Look, there's something about, I don't know what it is, there's something about the 80s in films that just works aesthetically Mm. through its costume and makeup and hair design. And I don't know how you felt, but especially at the beginning when they were setting the context of the 80s, 1984 as this film is, it felt very back to the future to me. Did you get those vibes as well? They pulled it back a bit as the film went on, I noticed. So it started off very, this is the 80s and gaudy supermarkets and clothing and all that kind of thing. And then, then they really pulled it back and made it a bit more subtle. Oh, 100%. I think that whole scene in the mall towards the beginning of the film was to be like hey we're in the 80s don't forget we'll remind you throughout but hey remember (laughs) that scene at the beginning we're in the mall it's the 80s i totally agree someone asked me if that was the stranger things mall oh really is it it? it's very similar i wonder if there's a a mall that looks like the 80s that they just keep using for all these shows okay now i'm gonna go on this internet deep dive after this and (laughs) i'll report back (laughs) one of the things i really enjoyed about the 80s aesthetic was that it made it feel closer to the linda carter tv series in terms of tone and style which i thought was a really nice touch such a good point that is definitely true it kind of was you know, a couple of parts nostalgia and a couple of parts just this sort of perfect film aesthetic, but definitely the Linda Carter vibes came through for sure. Now you want to talk about the performances. I would love 
to call out Gal Gadot in this one. Mm-hmm. Obviously, love her as Wonder Woman. She's put on that costume a few times throughout the DCEU, but I thought that she delivered a stunning performance here. I thought it was her most disarming and somewhat vulnerable at moments, mm. which I, I'm sure you can refer to in your mind uh, as Diana or Wonder Woman. But we, I felt like we learned a lot more about her in this film and we saw a whole new side of her than we ever have before. I was actually quite moved by her at times that I wasn't expecting. Definitely very moved. It's, as I said, a more world-weary, lonely Diana, but still radiating Mm. that warmth and caring that she's known for. 100%. She only needs to give that wink to the kid Mm. and you kind of... That's what I mean why she was really disarming. She was just very accessible and kind of one of those people that you could just watch and follow and want to see, experience new things all the time. And she definitely brings that layer to this character of Wonder Woman. And now it's no secret that Steve Trevor is back in this film and Gal and Chris still have that easygoing chemistry that picks you up and drops you right back into Diana and Steve's love, which I love. We can't share too much about how he's back or why he's back, but Mm. I think it fit within the narrative quite well. Was it believable for you? I thought it was believable in the context that they had taken a lot of time to set. Like you mm. just have to, you just have to accept it. You know, you're in a comic book movie. We've been exposed to other worlds and she's a, she's, you know, part of this world of gods in Amazonia mm. or whatever. So yeah, I mean, you believed it. And the film goes off into these fantastical avenues that leads to the third act where everything comes to a head. And yeah, no, I believed it and I was happy that it happened the way it did. Mm-hmm. And it was just really great to see Chris Pine and Gal Gadot again, lean into their chemistry. Like you pointed out, I think there's no other two like them in this context. I'm glad they were able to do it again. Second time around. And it's also really great seeing the guy being used to further the woman's storyline because you see it in reverse so much in every other movie. But this one, Steve is really intrinsically linked to her emotional journey. Mm. And I like to see that. I love that. And I think they did it so well. I agree. Good point. Solid cast in this. We have to talk about Kristen Wiig's performance. Oh, my goodness. I freaking love Kristen oh, Wiig so much. Love her. Yep. Cast her in everything, please, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But I just loved her story arc. Sure, there were a lot of cliched moments towards the beginning to set up like the type of person that she was mm-hmm. and then follow her journey into the type of person she became. But I think everything about her transformation was so beautifully captured and realized by Kristen as the story progressed. Mm. She had this fantastic physicality about her and I think she had a lot of fun in realising her her character throughout. She's always incredibly likeable, especially when she's a goof. I mean, she's known for being on (laughs) Saturday Night Live and comedy films, but she more than holds her own as a sexy, menacing Barbara evolves. I just was blown away by her performance. Oh, yeah. And can we just talk about... I think when we've reviewed the trailer in the past, I was nervous about her ultimate CGI kind of character design as the cheetah. Mm -hmm. But man, like, I think they really nailed it here. I think there was the perfect marriage of CGI and real effects. What Mm. were your thoughts on that? There's definitely a heavier use of CGI in this film, I felt. Mm. And I think it was a bit of a shame in some ways because they hid away really powerful action shots of Gal until close to the end. 
they don't give as much away up front and they're relying really heavily on the CGI, especially for the Amazonians. One mm-hmm. thing I really loved about this first film was that, I mean, I know this is a superhero film, so it's fantastical. It's not believable. They're doing superhuman mm-hmm. feats. But in terms of the Amazonians, you really believed the stunt women were doing this. And in most cases, mm-hmm. they were incredibly talented stunt team on the first film and this film. Mm. But in this one, it was hidden away by too much CGI, I think. And that's something I just really want to see from these films. I just want to see more of it. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to agree on this point, which is really interesting. See, Mm. I'm usually one where give me as much in-camera effects as possible. And from my perspective, maybe I was wrapped up in the spectacle so much because I was disarmed by the fact that we're in a cinema watching this big action adventure film. Mm. I thought the marriage between effects and visual effects was quite good here. Right, but I okay. understand what you mean about the the stunts. I think. Do you think they went a bit too fantastical? You wanted to kind of ground it in a bit more reality where possible. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to say grounded in reality. That's what I was trying to mm. avoid saying because it's not reality, obviously. But mm. yeah, you just want it to be a little bit more believable. And I mean, maybe what it comes down to is the choice in shots, not necessarily yeah. the CGI. I mean, do you need that wide angle? of Gal running fast that looks ridiculous because it's animated. Yeah. Could it work better at mid-range or close-up? Because Gal's close-up action shots are the most powerful things about this film, like those slow-mo her, you know, deflecting a bullet or the choreography in the first film, which you you get some of that in this movie, but not as much. Mm. Okay. I mean, okay. it's powerful. It's what we want. We want to see strong, powerful women. That's what this movie does so well. And do you think there was enough of that? Because I like to reference the opening scene, mm. which definitely set yourself up for the adrenaline ride that this movie delivered from yeah. my perspective. Were you expecting more of that? I think they've gone too far with grace and not enough power. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Like Wonder Woman's catchphrases are, you know, grace, power, wisdom, more power, a bit less grace, maybe. Oh, okay. Interesting. So you f- they, they didn't quite get the balance right from your perspective. I think so, yeah. Well, I mean, that's okay. comparing to the first film, which really isn't fair because this is a whole nother kettle of fish and they're obviously trying mm. to push it further. You have to. In a sequel, you have to take it to new ground. You have to take it to that next level. And they're obviously doing that in this film and they do it so well. They really do it well. Don't get me wrong. I just wanted to see some of those really special elements from a female filmmaker from the first film that carried over to the second, you know? Yeah, no, fair call, fair call. Now, the only composer you need to set scale is Hans Zimmer. (laughs) And his score in this movie, like, sends you to new heights. Yeah. What did you think about his contribution to to the film? Oh, absolutely fantastic. I don't know whether I just missed it, but there wasn't as much of the... Wonder Woman theme, you know, that real electric guitar riff. Where was that? Mm, I think I counted three times. You didn't hear it very much at all. It kind of came to those like, oh, dare I say, hero shots or hero moments where she'd overcome a particular challenge Mm. and then it played, you know, yeah, that riff. But it was kind of softer, wasn't it? It wasn't as prominent. There were undertones of it more than overt use of it. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I was more acute to that as I love a film score i think i 
listen to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack as much <laughs> as I might listen to like a pop music album. Yeah. Uh, and there's just so much power behind identifying characters or settings or worlds mm. to a particular sound. And I agree though, I think Hans probably could have lent into the Wonder Woman's theme a little bit more, but it was there. It was just ever so subtle. I was expecting a lot more use of iconic 80s music. You wanted more synth in there, did you, Lee? Yeah, I'm an 80s baby, so I <laughs> love the 80s tunes, but I think they made the right choice in not doing that. Like it was, as we said, mm. the 80s was toned down a little bit as the movie progressed. And I think it would have been jarring if they threw in too many iconic 80s hits. It would have turned it into a different movie. So they they made the right choice, but I was also missing those kind of, you know, don't you want me, baby? (laughs) That's such a good point. They didn't actually use popular music from the time in this film at all. No, there was one or two. There was one or two, but just hints of them. Oh, okay. Well, Lee, are we at that point in the review where we reveal our kernels? I think we are. The last time for season four. All right. Let me uh, gear up here. So I thought Wonder Woman 1984 was escapist cinema at its best. I thought it was huge in scale and scope and in terms of a sequel to a highly successful and popular origin story, I think it delivered in that context. I had a fucking good time watching this movie. Mm -hmm. And of course it had its flaws and its plot holes, all these things that we can't quite dive into in this review because we want to keep it spoiler free. I think it delivered in unveiling Diana more humanely. We saw more of a humanity to her and I quite liked the pace, although it did kind of tone it down from places. But then when it leapt into action, I was there ready to lap it up. So I'm going to give Wonder Woman 1984 four popcorn kernels, Lee. Excellent. Very well said, Tim. Well, there is so much emotion tied to the Wonder Woman films. The first, because it was groundbreaking in its empowering filmmaking and direction from a female perspective. This one, because we've been waiting so damn long after delays and Mm. the added stresses of this challenging year. It's a message of hope and love and I had been chomping at the bit for this film for so long. I do wish they could have given a bit more upfront and as I said those really powerful shots of Gal Gadot doing her thing and the stunt women doing their thing but I was so happy and so excited to see this film and it certainly doesn't disappoint so make sure you go out and see it on Boxing Day when it's released because it's so good and giving it four popcorn kernels. How good. (laughs) We're ending the year on the same page on Popcorn Podcast. I love it. This is definitely the film, Lee, I agree, that you need to take your family and your friends to and have a bloody good time and just kind of look at 2020 in the rearview mirror and look forward and Gal Gadot, she's got your back. Okay, well, it's time for the last lot of news for the season and the year, Tim. Chris Pine, speaking of Chris Pine, Mm -hmm. has been cast in Paramount Pictures as Dungeons and Dragons based on the popular fantasy roleplay board game. Its expected release at this stage is May 2022. Now, there was a movie from the year 2000 that starred Justin Whalen and Jeremy Irons, but was a commercial flop. So a new version has been in the works for years with lots of different names attached. So here we are, Chris Pine, he's attached and uh, hopefully delivers this time around. Yeah, we'll see. Is it going to be the new Lord of the Rings? We shall see. Ooh, you have my attention. (laughs) 
Now, Rachel Lee Cook has signed on to the gender-flipped reimagining of She's All That called He's All That. How original. God's sake. Rachel Lee Cook starred in the 1999 movie where the school jock, played by Freddie Prince Jr., makes a bet he can turn the most unpopular girl into the prom queen. Now, the new version will feature, of course, TikTok star Addison Rae as the popular girl who has to turn the least popular guy into prom king. And Rachel Lee Cook will play her mother. Now, I've recently-ish, I think this year, 2020, re-watched She's All That and thought it's it was... It's a gross movie. It's awful. It doesn't age well. So I think this movie is just asking for trouble. How are they going to pull this off in this day and age? I don't know. But you only have to say TikTok and I'm out the door. Like, I'm just so uninterested in this even making our news list. But TikTok is the new casting pool for Hollywood, it seems. Okay, I'm out. Unsubscribe. What's the next piece of news, Lee? Audio has been secretly recorded and leaked from the set of Mission Impossible 7. I'm sure everyone has heard this this week. Mm. Showing Tom Cruise ranting angrily after two crew members allegedly broke COVID-19 protocols while filming. Now, I'm in two minds about this. How did Mm. you feel about this rant? Everything he was saying in principle was correct. He was basically saying... You need to take this seriously. How dare you? We are being looked at to prove that we can continue to make movies, keep people mm. in work, thousands of jobs. But what's his character? Is it Les Grossman? He sounded mm. <laughs> so aggressive. He was yeah. he was swearing a lot. There were a lot of expletives. So maybe his approach wasn't very professional, but what he was saying mm. was correct. What about you? You have to wonder what got him to that point, whether he's just snapped and carried on like that. But either way, there's no excuse for it. You can't talk to employees like that. Mm. It's uncalled for. But yeah, as you said, I can completely agree with the sentiment behind it. People need to take this seriously. And a lot of people around the world aren't. So many people's livelihoods depend on the entertainment industry. So he's got a point. Do you want to take this news, Tim? This is a bit sad. It is a bit sadly. The stage to screen adaptation of Everybody's Talking About Jamie has been pulled from the release calendar, while other films such as Chaos Walking have been delayed. This could be in response to news of a vaccine being close and pushing film releases out to maybe a period of time where more people will be able Mm. to willing and it's safer to go and see these big films that Hollywood are looking to push next year. You have to wonder if a vaccine does become available and it's, you know, it takes effect in 2021, do you think Warner Brothers will reverse the decision to put movies on HBO Max? Or do you think they're locked into that? I feel like they're somewhat locked into it. That is a very good question. Look, to be honest, anything is possible decisions are being made so late in the game and I don't think anyone's got really a clear agenda or a known agenda. I think they'll just pivot. Well, that word pivot has Mm. plagued us this year, but I think they'll just continuously revisit what they can do and uh, we'll watch this space, I guess. Now, Seth MacFarlane is set to produce a reboot of Revenge of the Nerds. I love Seth MacFarlane. Mm. This is another movie that could go very badly because (laughs) Revenge of the Nerds, I think if I remember correctly, has a sexual assault scene in it. So you'd want to cut that one out and Mm -hmm. a lot of questionable other 
comedy aspects in it as well. Reports suggest that it won't be a remake of the 1984 comedy. Instead, it will be contemporary reimagining about today's nerd culture and what even constitutes a geek in the 21st century. I mean, Seth MacFarlane's comedy is cheeky, but it comes from a place of intelligence. So hopefully he's endorsing a a more modern take on this and we'll, we'll see what he has in store. Florence Pugh is producing and starring in a murder mystery, The Maid, for Universal Pictures. It's based on Nita Prose's debut novel of the same name. Now, the story centres on Molly the Maid, who leaves every room perfect and pristine while getting to know each guest's dirty secrets and explores Molly's descent into the murderous underbelly of her gilded workplace. That's a pretty interesting synopsis there. That's hooked me in, but I first just want to call out the beautiful use of alliteration in the fact that she's Molly the maid. I just love that. (laughs) (laughs) Florence is doing amazing things. I just Mm. love that she's being attached to all these projects and I'm sure she'll bring something pretty special to the table here. I think she'll rock the maid outfit too. Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) Well, that's it for Popcorn Podcast News and another episode. That rounds us off for the year, the officially the last episode of the year, other than a few bonus and special episodes that will entice your ears over the holiday New Year period. Oh, we have some special bonus episodes coming your way. You're going to be very excited to hear these. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. Thank you, our listeners for coming on this journey, especially in the year that was 2020. Lee and I, right, we've had the most fun. We love it. And we thank you for all your support and all your kind words and engagement. And we cannot wait to bring you more content in 2021. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from us. We'll catch you next time, guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy our episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. While you're there, we would love you to rate us and leave a review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio.